good, the bad, and the nerdy movie podcast. I'm your host, Tom, with me again is Will and Bruce, who survived his shark attack. Hey, everybody. But what if I need to swing with more than one person, Q? Why? Why are you going <laughs> to limit me that way? All right. So, folks, uh, this is our Invincible episode because we're covering our, uh, our uh, Pierce Brosnan episode. We are doing his first one, uh, most successful of his ones by critically and box office-wise. We're talking about GoldenEye from 1995. Okay, all I can say about all of these is that you cannot rely whatsoever on, like, the Rotten Tomatoes or the fan favorites or anything. Like, and they're so uneven across the franchise. But, like, they're bad in different ways. It's, it's just so strange to me how this could be well-regarded. Well, I can, I can step in and answer that because uh, I have a history with this film. So this is the first Bond movie I ever saw in a theater. Same for me. Like, uh, I went and saw this in high school with some buddies of mine. We were like, oh yeah, James Bond. I've heard of those. <laughs> we should go see one. They're a cultural te- touchstone. And lo and behold, when I was a teenager, I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was a fun action romp. I've grown yeah, I up. Saw, yeah, this came out fall of 95. I remember seeing it. I remember excited when I saw it. You'll, you'll remember this. The You may not remember this, but... Uh, the trailer debuted in front of Species. I, I do remember that because I saw Species as well. Love that movie, by the way. Yeah, so Species was like they debuted the trailer with that one. And it kind of – I'd already seen Species because I had to see, you know, uh, a lot of alien sex. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, the, so, yeah, the trailer, I was like, this looks pretty cool. So we went uh, – some buddies and I went and saw it. Um, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend because it came out right around then. It did. Uh, I think I saw it closer to Christmas. Uh, Because it was still in theaters. Yeah, back when Uh, movies were in theaters for more than two weeks. More than two weeks, yeah. They were. I mean, this was in theaters. I think through Christmas. Yeah. Um, and I. So let's just get into it. The opening sequence is dumb, but it actually serves a plot point, which I appreciated as a pair, as opposed to many of the other opening sequences that are wholly disconnected from the rest of the film. Yeah, uh, I will say this. Uh, most of the Brosnan films, they always try to make sure the opening bit always does tie into it. They don't have what it standalones. They're all connected. As far as like the other movies where it's usually just something random just for fun. This, these are always like, this is our intro for the film. So, uh, yeah, and this was the, um, I guess we should point out, uh, Brosnan was supposed to be Bond in the 80s. He'd been hired to replace Roger Moore, but Remington Steele would not let him uh, missed a few uh, weeks to shoot the film Living Daylight, so they had to give it to uh, Timothy Dalton. By 1993, they hadn't made another Bond movie because of uh, some financial problems with the studio, so uh, uh, Dalton was let out. They hi- they were able to finally get Pierce Brosnan and made this film. So uh, this film, was, I think, opens in the 80s as kind of a callback to, hey, he was supposed to be here in the 80s, now here we are in the 90s. Yeah, it opens in the 80s. Uh, it's clearly Soviet Russia. I, I do like that he had a partner, 006, who was not just a support character, but equally skilled and equally as valid of a secret agent. Yes, um, Sean Bean. In, in an early role, we spent, Sean Bean's career had not really become the uh, recurring getting killed uh, Sean Bean. I, I, I mean, he dies pretty quick in this film, so let's just... just, he, just, he, just dies, he dies twice in the same movie. I mean, uh, yeah. See, he ruins is... the joke. I was going to do a bring back Sean Bean thing and then have him die again. Anyway, yeah, so Sean Bean's in his film. He dies twice. Or thir- yeah, You might say he only time. dies twice. Oh. Fuck. Oh, God, Will. Yeah. Oh, oh. Suffer my vengeance. I am invincible. Um... Anyway, the point is, uh, some stuff happens and a thing blows up and Sean Bean somehow survives getting shot in the head, although I assume it was a setup. Yeah, we, we never see blood. We don't. We only see it from a angle, so we know it's a. It's got to be a fake bullet. Well, no, we don't know it's a fake bullet. This was the '90s. That's the whole. They're playing on the trope of a lot of '90s films in order to get PG-13s have a lot of gunplay and violence, but it's always in shadow or slightly yeah. off-screen. Well, but like, I still don't even understand how that. Like, okay, okay, they they do in fact blow up that facility. Yes. This is all an elaborate cover for his defection? 
basically, I, yeah, I mean, essentially, no, he's already, I think he was a double agent all along. This whole mission, he, they were still on a mission, but he used this as an opportunity to return, probably give secrets back to the Soviets and basically kill off his uh, other identity. The difference being is that, uh, you know, he, he was planning probably to go like he did anyway, which is become a, you know, underground, you know, gun runner slash mobster. But you know, when Bond blo- uh, just, you know, blows it up with a different time, you know, he gets burned up and obviously he's off the map for the Soviets. So when the Soviet Union collapses, he goes in on he, he does his own independent thing after that. So I, I the key was is like he, he probably volunteered to go with Bond's mission on to uh, sneak back. Just know Bond okay. would, would pull and and of course the general was in on it, but like every one of those dudes, because I mean, it's just it, it is a extraordinarily elaborate hundreds of witnesses kind of thing, which just struck me. Well, okay, never mind. Why am I looking for remote shades of plausibility in these films? Why am I? Uh, because we want them to. Like, I also was like, okay, so he fake shoots this guy in front. What does the dude have a little blood pack that he like squirts some ketchup out his eye or something? Oh no, I've totally been shot for realsies. No, really. And like flops around like a fish for a while. Is this Kefabe? I mean... <laughs> I will admit, when I first saw this, I did not see the twist coming. I was also in high school and not a very smart person. I'm still and not they, a very they, smart they, person, but I'm old and crafty. Twist. It's such an obvious twist because there's a mystery person. And, like, it's going to be his dead body. Like, oh, come on. Well, I was in high school, and uh, I, 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 while I am not, a, I'm still not very smart, I'm a lot more experienced in these things. Yeah. I mean, we should point out, they didn't show in the trailer he was the villain. They actually were very good. The trailer never once said who the villain was, other than it was or even what Goldeneye was. Like, that, they did a really good job of that, not letting you know what the movie was actually about other than Bond fighting something. Yeah, the marketing is fine. Uh, so let's talk about some other crazy stuff. Uh, there is a completely pointless sequence in this film, though. And that's the analysis, you know, the, the driving scene that's dumb. Like, you could literally chop that scene out entirely. Oh yeah, With, except for maybe service. like two, except for maybe like two minutes where he like acknowledges the other driver woman, and yeah. then otherwise no, no, it, has it had to because I mean otherwise you couldn't get cringe all the way to eleven like that. That sort of terroristic sexual assault scene is is part of it. I think it's like they're they're pointing out that Bond still sexually assaults happily. Well, okay, so that's a little fan service. Because the Dalton Vaughn wouldn't do that. He was very much a, uh, I don't like to flirt with women kind of thing. Um, but they're also acknowledging, oh, this uh, the last time we saw Vaughn, he'd been kicked out of MI6. Now he's back, so we have to explain and do a little exposition. But this time, since it's Brosnan, we're going to say, oh, well, he's kind of more like the Sean Connery Bond. So he likes to flirt. He drives the Ashton Martin. You know, the, the, We're throwing all your favorite Sean Connery tropes into this. Uh, that Ashton Martin is the biggest cinematic blue balls in this film because you don't see it use a single fucking gadget except a little screen yeah because they did that in the other movies and they're like well we're not gonna have them use all the gadgets this time we're just gonna let you know then why even mention them don't just don't just say that it has all the usual equipment and but then you're like and stinger missiles no no you don't get to do that that's just being an asshole yeah (laughs) like but that's that's the point like so bmw made a deal so they could be the new car so yeah after bmw gets their uh little moment oh, uh, God. Movies, yeah and th- this movie sucks uh, so anyway a thing happens and some shit happens and golden eye happens and blah yeah, blah, blah there's blah. a weird baccarat there gotta there just has to be baccarat i don't know uh, so yeah okay let's talk about the baccarat scene because this is pretty much indicative of all the fucking problems in this movie right so bond goes into a casino after he's driving into what I assume is his favorite hangout casino, maybe he's on a mission. It has not been established, so we don't no. know. Uh, so he sees the car that was from earlier, and he's like, "Oh, cool!" So he goes looking for her, and he finds her at the baccarat table where she's dropping mad cash because, of course, she is, and she's winning because, sure, why not? And he sits down to play baccarat, and there's this whole tête-à-tête where they're like playing back and forth, and sums of money are exchanged, and there's like a couple hands and she's like damn it he got me oh no and i'm like no that's not how baccarat works that's not how baccarat works at all baccarat is essentially a game of chance you're where you're i mean who wins and who loses is almost pure chance there is no 
skill. The rules of Baccarat are fixed. If these cards are revealed, this specific thing happens. If these cards are revealed, this other specific thing happens. It's and but no, at no point does anyone interfere. It just it happens no matter what, and then you read the results. It's it's like it, there's not even a hit, don't hit, hit, stay, fold nonsense. There's no there's no hits. There's no stays. There's no raising. There's no folding. It's not poker. It's not blackjack. There's no skill in Baccarat. The only only skill you could pretend to have is to look at your bankroll and decide to play Banco, which is the bank, which means you're covering everyone else's bets because that particular style has a lower house edge than any other bet. It is the stupidest fucking thing in this movie, and it is indicative of having the trappings of the Bond film and not paying attention to what Bond should be from a realism standpoint or any other standpoint. It is this fictionalized bullcrap just so he can have a moment in a casino for no reason that adds zero to the plot other than it puts two characters in the same room. You could have done that at Bond, a fucking James, Starbucks. And he can say Bond, James Bond, and get his... Uh, vodka martini shake and not stir. He can say that at the fucking Starbucks and then go get a martini across the street at the bar. It's fine. I know, but what's the fan service? Like I said, this movie's trying hard to do the fan service to the fans who are like... Fan service for the sake of fan service that serves no point to the plot is yeah. stupid mm -hmm. and should be excised from films. Well, unless it's like a side element. Like if it was this is if this was a side element where he's like in a tense meeting with M or something, and then he walks out and he's like shaken, not stirred or whatever. Yeah, you're like, oh, cool, he said the line. That's fine because it's it's still part of the scene and it establishes a character moment in a scene that has plot relevance. This doesn't. You chop out this whole sequence. The only thing you lose is, well, how did he know who she was? The answer is he really didn't. She tried to kill him with a forklift. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. All right. This anyway, is such a niggly little so, yeah. thing to be so, yeah. pissed about. Which, what, that's Zinya on a top. Which is oh, about yeah. The, again, with the shitty fucking names. Yeah, we gotta have we gotta have our uh, innuendo, and then, of course, her a bit. She loves to be on a top so she can crush guys with her thighs while in you know fucking. So it's like sex is her weapon. So it's yeah. And which what it's the mid '90s, so of course we gotta have all these '90s. 90s themes. So. No, no, that no. that is just so deeply un un. That is, and so you know, sexy. as much as I am intrinsically pleased by the idea of sexy Famke Johnson, I this is not even sexy. It's just terrible, and she's bad in the role, and it's just awful. And it's like I'm gonna walk around and make fake orgasms while shooting people, and I'm like, stop, stop. Have you no shame? Have you no shame? She had more it, dignity in X Men Three. Yeah, it's just oh, it's yeah. so bad. It's so bad. I'm not okay. okay I'm not going to bag on the on the actress. I think she did fine with the material she was given. I think this is wholly a problem with the direction because they clearly said no, no, more and faster. Yeah, every single scene. Okay, so Martin Campbell, this is his first time directing a Bond movie. He'd been directing uh, commercials, and he got offered this job because they were trying to hire a new director for a new hipper '90s style. So yeah, this is. And he got a lot of praise for this, but and then he would later direct Casino Royale. So uh, he's one of those directors who's like, "Hey, yeah, let's do, let's hype it up, let's do some crazy action, and let's just make it all style." He's like a Mike. He's a British Michael Bay. That's probably a good comparison. Yeah. Well, he's the British Michael sucks anyway. Uh, so anyway, the thing happens, and they steal a helicopter, and. For plot yes. convenience reasons, this helicopter is shielded against electromagnetic interference, which will be important in this next scene. Yeah, it's where we have the French after she uh, squeezed the guy to death in sex. So, which... let, let me tell you about Boris, Boris the uh, hacker guy. I uh, miss the quiet Alan dignity, Tommy's, baby. I miss the quiet dignity of Teehee. I'm just saying. Yes, I, I, I told you you he would grow on you eventually. Well, compared to this guy, like this guy is the this, worst. Uh, this okay, guy so is let, the worst. Let, let, let's discuss a little bit about Boris. He is that perfect '90s definition of what they think a hacker is supposed to be. We're not talking like you know uh, Angelina Jolie hackers. We're talking the okay. He's clearly a nerd. He's European, so he you know, he's a he's Russian. He has weird tics, such so as he's he's always twirling a pen. And he's got bad, bad, bad beavis and butthead humor. It's slugheads. Yeah, I mean, he's a slughead. Well, good. Just, oh, God. Anyway, but, so, and it was what Alan Cummings plays exactly how it's written. You can tell 
this is this is just they got the right actor who he knew exactly what he's supposed to be, which is annoying and over the top and exactly what you would expect from a Bond villain. Oh, uh, well, no, I mean from a a, a Bond flunky, perhaps. Yeah, uh, yeah. I will Hinchman. say that. Henchman, sorry. Again, I don't have a problem with any of the other performances in this film. Actually, well, maybe one, but no, I do. I thought they were all pretty wooden. The, I did not. Didn't you, no, none of those were good. Now, maybe it is the the. I am not sophisticated I, enough to know that like it's not their fault. But still, well, it's no, not no. Good. You can look. You can look at their performances in other things and see that they can act better than they did in this. Alan Cummings is a good example. Uh, fan, you know. Uh, the Zeno Robbie the Coltrane. Rob, Robbie Coltrane. We know he can do better. I mean, he, he was better as Hagrid than he was as a Russian. I'll tell you that. Uh, Why don't they bring him back in the third film? Of course they do. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he comes back. You're a wizard, James. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, yeah. They uh, bring Joe Don Baker back in the second film. He was supposed to be the new Felix. They decided not to bring him back after two. Joe Don not- Baker. So uh, I have a funny story about Joe Don Baker. Joe Don Baker in the 70s starred in a series of uh, su- uh, angry cop slash super spy <laughs> movies called the the Mitchell series, <laughs> made famous by Mystery Science Theater 3000, and uh, he looks exactly the same. This is not a compliment. By the way, we should point out, uh, you guys didn't see Living Daylights, but he's also a villain in Living Daylight. So oh. they literally used him a set, they brought him back after I was using him in another uh of course they do. Anyway, yeah, so his Russian accent is bad. I, I will admit, I do kind of want the golden eye prop because it looks badass. Yeah, the oh uh, the interface, yeah. the little the little card with the big gem in it that's completely ridiculous and nonsensical. I love it. I love yeah, that because, thing, and I want it. It looks like a Power Rangers prop, and I totally want it. Uh, I, it I, does. Thinking, it does. Yeah, I kept thinking like, is it supposed to have a, a, a golden ship from Zorn? I mean, it. it it screams again, they don't understand how computers work. No, but they understand how overly elaborate security systems work. But again, this security system can be beaten by, <laughs> you know, a dude with a piece of string. Uh, the, the, uh, you, know, I, you know, put the card in and you have two keys on opposite sides of the room. Okay, well, just tie a string. To I, I'm just going to say, though, like, <laughs> this isn't as bad as, like, the famous NCIS, the two of them on the same keyboard hackers. Like, okay, so it's not that bad. No, or, there's or, worse. There's or worse. Superman three, where uh, or, he, you you forget about Superman three with the t- uh, the drunk guy that uh, Richard Pryor uses to help open the uh, put the other key in. I didn't. I didn't forget anything. I I choose not to remember that film for many reasons. Um, that's the first hacker movie. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, it can't be. The first hacker movie, if you want to get serious about it, was um was probably a blowout. Because dude uses all that tech to try to solve crimes That's and true. and hacking. We got people forget hacking is not always about computing. Hacking, I mean, phone freaking was absolutely a thing in the '80s. And if you don't know what phone freaking is, I suspect I suggest you go look it up. It's actually fascinating. Uh, when a guy with an Oscar Mayer wiener whistle can hack the AT and T system to make long distance calls. That's awesome. Anyway, uh, and that guy founded Apple Computers. I will, I will give it to Boris that, from the perspective of a movie making suit, Boris is the typical exaggerated portrayal of a quote unquote hacker, right? Hacker man, baby. Hacker man, yeah, it's hacker man. <laughs> um, so anyway, they, they they blow up some shit, but somebody lives, and it's cool that she lives. And there's a uh, there's yeah. just so much that happens. That, okay, like, but that that whole sequence is just like they could cut like 15 minutes out of it. Yeah, it's like she's gonna die. Oh, she lives. Oh, she's gonna die. She lives. Oh, for fuck's sake, guys! You're not gonna kill her. You don't have the balls for that. Just let just 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 cut a few of those. And let, similarly, like the tank crashing into things was cute, but they just let it go on and on and on. Yeah, it goes every every sequence in this movie goes on far too long this is an hour's movie crammed into two <laughs> and we should point out the whole plot of this film is basically a die hard plot which is they're going to create this disaster while in reality they're just trying to steal a bunch of money and hope the disaster will hide what they've done 
I mean, yeah, that's it's fine. That the, the plot does not upset me. Although, once again, it's like, how much money are you spending on this, guys? Like, you've already got quite a lot of money. You have a train for no ex- like a, a, a Soviet war train is just yours for no explicable reason. Um, and like, you could just sell that thing. You know, you, you could you just could, sell that thing. You could have sold the. You could sell the Goldenite box it chip thing for untold millions but no you're going through this stupid elaborate bullshit now okay to be fair the guy heading it up is out for revenge right yeah he has it turns out he's actually just out for revenge yeah and that's a real thing that happened you know the uh basically anti-fascists or or anti-soviets who kind of worked both sides of the of the Cold War, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you roboted there for a minute, Tom. Yeah, you did. Any, well, I'll, I'll vamp for a few minutes, I guess, while we wait for him to come back. Um, let's talk about never shooting Bond. Or Bond Just- never shooting other people. He got the drop on the two villains in the train. He should have just yeah, murdered should them. Just shot both of them and been done with it. Yeah. Oh, Tom's... Right, and there's a lot of... There's a ton of characters in this movie that are like that. That, like, uh, Robbie Coltrane plays the Russian agent guy that Bond apparently has a history with. And he plays it in the worst possible way. Like, it Oh, is, that's so bad. It's like... What do you expect from a Cossack? It is, and then the whole Cossack thing, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, I mean, well, I mean, let's have some racism, but like racism, no one's heard of. It's great. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know, you here's your way to get some mild education. Yeah, Russia and the Soviets and the Cossacks, and it's it's a whole. Yeah, it goes back you know over a hundred years, and we did some, and England England did some horrible things. To not help them after World War II. And there's right. still Nazi ties because the Cossacks did fight with, like, alongside the Nazis at the time. So it's sort of, yeah, they're bad people-ish, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, no. We don't really know. What, they weren't really on either side because they had their own side. We kind like, the Brits wanted them to take out Stalin, but they didn't want them to also be, uh, you know, like, you know, because they had deals with, they made deals with, the Nazis, it's kind of like, well, they weren't good no matter what side, so we just kind of let we uh, betrayed them. So his family was one of the ones who survived that betrayal. But it was and, so shameful they had to kill themselves. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. Now, it should be pointed out, this is the first time we found out Bond's an orphan that his parents died in a skiing accident, which is, they, they play that up later on in the Daniel Craig Bonds. So. He must really be getting, trying to get over it with all the skiing that's been in previous Bonds. I know. Yeah. So much fucking skiing. Yeah, it, it kind of explains a little bit about why he loves the skis. Like, well, you know, that's how you know, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's parents die uh, in front in the back alley, so I hang out and climb around back alleys, beating up people. My parents <laughs> die in ski accident, so I go around skiing and killing people. <laughs> so you're saying he's just shitty Batman? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so uh, the idea, but yeah, essentially this idea is they're going to uh, hit. Uh, England, London specifically, with the other EM pulse, and wipe out the uh, England. You know, basically, cause massive you know problems in Europe specifically, and as while they're hacking the Bank of London, and I guess in an attempt to hack every other major bank and move all the money to some mysterious bank that would not be affected by this hack <laughs> off the Cayman Islands, which is so. Oh, Hey, it's the 90s. Everyone's got offshore bank accounts in the Cayman Islands. Yeah, yeah, the 90s. Like, that's not a thing. Um, I, know, I know, but it's like, that's the, it's like, uh, what? No. So, uh, uh, that's the plot. Uh, so, Bond's goal is basically to stop them from um, essentially pulling off the greatest bank heist in, you know, world history. Except Yay. that it's not. So, let's, let's walk his, let's walk through his plan. Uh, assume that he's out for revenge. Fair enough. But also assume that everybody else involved is in it for the money, right? They're in it for the money. Makes sense. Getting rid of London is going to cause a huge economic crisis, right? Yep. I mean, are they certain that their money is going to survive that? 
Like, that's a pretty big roll of the dice. Yeah, like, the world might not just say, you know what, we're going to avoid all transfers in and out of London because it blew up and we can't validate any of that. Yeah, we can't validate anything, so I guess we're just going to have to stop. Any transaction that occurred in the following range of time is just going to be invalid. Okay. That that doesn't specify, (laughs) would the Ian Pulse kill a bunch of people or would just shut down every machine? Like, I mean, people on on live support would be dead. The the EMPS presented in this film would absolutely kill all kinds of people. Any planes over London fall to the ground and blow up. That kills a bunch of other people. Communications are going to be down. So anytime a fire breaks out, you can't call the fire department. Um, They have to run. They have to, you know, cars aren't going to work. I mean, just... So many yeah. things depend on it's electricity. It's going to be chaos. But like, there were like, already, like, Y2K is coming articles that had gone through all of this yeah. at the time of this film. Yeah, and, you know, next in the very next year, we got uh, Escape from L.A., which has the Ian Pulse for the entire world. So, I mean, I just don't think that every – like, it's like this one guy had this secret plan to get revenge. Fair enough. But he somehow tricked everybody by saying, we're going to get all the money. Except the dumb money is not guaranteed. <laughs> like, yeah. it doesn't magically transfer. I mean, the financial system, you take out if, – if New York City were to disappear off the face of the earth and there's just a globe of empty space where it once was, that's going to fuck shit up for a long fucking time. Yeah. Even if it came back the next day, right? Let's let's put you know it disappears and then yeah. the next day it comes back and literally everything is fine. Yeah, that's still gonna fuck up work. so much shit. <laughs> yeah, the Philadelphia experiment worked. It just happened to take all of Manhattan for one day. But yeah, I mean that's yeah. uh, essentially you know, they're taking some tropes from four or five other movies and trying to make it's Die Hard with a Vengeance had a similar plot, which is we're going to you know uh, rig a whole bunch of terrorist tracks while we're trying to steal all the gold out of the. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange reserves. It's, I mean, it's literally the same plot line. Die, same, yeah, so the idea is we're they're just going more cyber, you know, heavy because it's the '90s and they think, you know, I we're mean, talking a little cyberpunkish. The net was out this same decade, so yeah, <laughs> like, oh yeah. I mean, uh, same the, year. The, the flaws of this film are, is not that that plot is tired. It, it wasn't as tired at the time, and it isn't that bad of a plot. It, it's I, the other ones are worse. I am going to steal space capsules and cause a nuclear war because someone paid me. Again, if a nuclear war happens, how much do you think that paper money you got is going to be worth? The answer is nothing. I mean, I will agree that as a plot line, causing a big distraction to steal stuff is about as classic as it gets. I mean, this is heist movie 101, right? Yes. So that's fine. It's, it's just like you're right, Bruce. Why don't you sell the train? Hell, sell the fucking card. Sell the helicopter you stole. <laughs> sell the helicopter you stole. Sell anything that's not. I mean, you already have enough money to build a job. Now, to be fair, I suppose it's implied, but never fully stated, that the base they're operating from in Cuba was actually a Russian facility that they just sort of commandeered. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah I, well, I did. So the things I liked in it is that I think it actually did what they wanted to do. Like, I will give them that. There's one thing, like, where I can see that they were definitely trying to go, what is the future of a post-Cold War bond enterprise? And they they had, you know, they were always not just Cold Warish. You know, Spectre was just this thing. But, yeah. and you know, they, but they, they definitely, like... The fall of the Soviet Union or the ongoing fall of the Soviet Union was explored and not necessarily terribly. Like they, you know, everything is going to be this. It's like, oh, we don't know what we're doing. Oh, did they secure everything? And I think there was even like, there was clearly a good faith effort by the remnants of, you know, the Russian, the USSR army to secure the shit. Like they're, they're like, fuck go get the thing who's who's stealing the things we can't let the things get stolen they're very expensive and dangerous like i kind of admired that in that the actual remnants of the soviet uh empire were were sort of like worried about like what happened here like we left stuff in kazakhstan we left stuff it's like the whole they had stuff in places they don't own anymore which means 
crap. What are we going to do? And then meanwhile, they're also like, well, we also don't – who's paying us? He's like, And yeah. that was a big deal. Like, that was part of the marketing. Like, it was definitely a this is Bond plugged into more current events. Right. And yeah. I, I, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the effort. But you don't win friends with salad, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, well, but I just go back down to it fails in the movie stuff. Yeah. Like all of those chase scenes could have been punchier and shorter and been like, you fucking stole a tank. That's fucking awesome. Look at him. He's running around Red Square in a fucking tank. Yeah. Yeah. Busting cool through like corners just... you just need to go through. It was it was cool until they ran it into the ground. So I feel that this film fails in the filmmaking enterprise, not necessarily in the planning or scripting like some of the other ones. I agree, one hundred. This one is just it's just like we made a boring, sluggish movie. We apparently told Pierce Brosnan, who essentially is playing Remington Steele here, like. There's nothing in this is not part of his rimming steel persona, but the one key omission was the utter playfulness and self-awareness of Remington steel, which is like, why he got originally offered the part in 1985. So the, we sh- if you don't know about Remington steel, that was a pretty significant TV series in the mid eighties. So he if, was essentially this bond like guy who was working as a uh, private detective with this other woman who was using his name so he's like i'm just gonna be your partner yep so, well he like, might have even been a spy like who got out from under and i think they eventually get into like what he was but at the start it's like he's he's it's like burn notice he starts out like with no past and like he just picks up this identity yeah so i would like to to have a little side note here uh, my my long suffering grandmother, rest God rest her soul, she loved Remington Steel. My mother so, loved it too, so, so much. much. So, to be <laughs> yeah. fair, to be fair, my first like my first like television loin stirring, Ste- Stephanie lives in Bliss. Oh oh yes, oh yes. Eleven year old Bruce was like, yes, you you are the woman. <laughs> and, and and he had the you know he was supposed to be Bond, and they would not let him you know skip out on a few months to shoot it because they were like he'll quit the series, so we just won't let him take it because, which is you know the same unfortunate thing that happened to Tom Selleck when it came to Rage of the Lost Ark. He would his show would not let him go do the movie. So uh, and. Uh, you know, fun fact: His wife had been in um, um, "For Your Eyes Only" in 1981. That's how they met. Like the producers met him at the premiere because that she brought him to the premiere. They're like, "Hmm, let's get this. Let's consider this guy for the future." So when the opportunity came up, he signed up. He couldn't. He had to pass, and then he had to wait ten years and got it. So I mean, I would give the guy credit. He you know was able to. He still got the part ten years later, and admittedly, it was a huge success for him. Whether or not this movie is something you guys or a lot of people, you know, it's it's definitely kind of a weird mix. When it comes to Bond fans, it's usually considered a top five Bond movie of all time. But I can tell by you guys, it's not working for you. And and I I, I see exactly what you're talking about, Bruce. That there are some issues that just don't hold up. And I agree, editing wise, it's got that mid '90s action editing problem, which is you know a lot of those mid '90s films suffer. Like they're not one thing they don't push a ton of CGI in this film. I give them. Huge credit. They don't try to squeeze bad CGI because it was available. No, and that's uh, commendable. Uh, I just, I mean, I was a lot less critical when I was younger. I liked this film a lot more, you know, over 30, you know, almost 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah. I just, just looking at it with a, with a crit- more critical eye and having much more life experience and experience watching movies, the cracks are a lot more obvious on this watch. And it's not, again, Let's compared to the other Bond films, I'd probably rank this as my third favorite. I mean, that's damning with faint praise to some degree, but of the ones I've seen so far, this is probably one of the this is one of the better ones. Um, I might even rank it just either slightly ahead or slightly behind on Her Majesty's Secret Service. A lot of the elements in that that were flawed are just executed slightly better in this one, mm. but. I, I don't care for the, the female lead as much, but I think that the Bond performance is better than Lazenby's, although Lazenby's wasn't bad. And neither of these films is bad. Yeah. Ross is a much stronger actor overall than Lazenby ever could because he was just that season of an actor. Lazenby yeah, but I, ever... I still feel like he failed. Like, I, I, and at the time, 
because I will say this, uh, I was vaguely hyped for him to actually get the role because I thought he would be fun. And this was not fun. I didn't really care for this film when it came out. I was like, I, I don't think I was as harsh as I am now, but I was like, eh, it wasn't that good. He, he wasn't funny. He was not clever. It was just sort of rando action movie. Yeah, and, and that's sort of the problem is it was rando action movie. That That's the best that, you can describe it as. We say rando action movie. If you're taking James Bond out and say you put John McClane in, it's it's a diehard movie. That's the thing. They were trying very hard to ape a diehard film. Yeah, but it doesn't ape a diehard film because John McClane, in all his appearances, keeps that I'm a working schmo kind of attitude. Yeah. James Bond does not. You, you would no. never see John McClane yeah. at a fucking Baccarat table. You wouldn't see him in a casino. He doesn't have enough money to be in a casino, you know? Agreed. No, it might be in circus, circus. I guess they were trying it, but they just failed. Like uh, there is no uh, okay. Roger Moore was more suave, which is sad. Okay, (laughs) which is sad. I will disagree with that. I didn't think Roger Moore was very suave at all. I thought he had a certain. I I was not. I was not calling Roger Moore actually suave. I was just saying more than this. I, I think Brosnan is slightly more I, I suave. I think Brosnan's got the charm down right. I think I, – I, I, but I see what you're mm. talking about. I, but that's a dialogue issue, not – because I think he actually has the actual charm that a Bond should have, which is this – you know, this – it's a slightly upper crust, you know, um, you know, he, you know, he, he had the good Yeah, story. no, I, I feel you. I, maybe it is just the writing. With better writing, it could have been more yeah. – more The writing is uh, – a lot of the problems in this film can be summed up with the writing, I think, and maybe a little bit of the direction. Like, I thought some of it was directed fine. The stunt sequences are generally fine. Yeah, I mean, let's point out the stunt where he, the guy jumps – I mean, the, the Bond stuntman jumps off of that uh, – um, uh, off that dam and does the uh, bungee jump. Which is, of course, that's a '90s thing. You wouldn't have seen that any other time because bungee jumping was off of, uh, you know, dance was something. It was every commercial back then. Uh, you know, is a pretty cool stunt. I mean, that's him. They actually have a guy doing it. You can see behind the scenes what it was like from different angles of him doing it. Uh, the stunt where the guy dives into the uh, plane. You know, they edit around it, but a guy actually did jump off a cliff and land in, you know, into a plane. That's not, you know, there's still some special effects blue screening for getting Pierce Brosnan in an act. <laughs> Yeah, I did that. Let's talk about the blue screening for a few minutes. It's not good. It's it's no. not good. And I didn't no. think it was good in 1995. Like, as much as I enjoyed the film as a high schooler, even I was like, yeah, that blue screen's pretty shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> was I mean, it actual say, CGI? Like, you... Some parts were CGI. They made a big deal out of that, too. Yeah, but I mean, the CGI stuff's mostly for the space stuff. But the shot of him trying to slide into that plane as it's going down, it just doesn't match up. You could. If they digitally corrected it, it'd probably look a little bit better. But yeah, you can just see that it's just another problem of like how blue screen with film stock was back then. It's just there wasn't a way to still from it to make it work because the film stock and the way you did uh, digitally blue screening effects still weren't balanced. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's <laughs> all right. Let's move on to the ending. Just don't do it. Well, I've got one other thing to say. Like this is absolutely. Like, their biggest problem, and I can see it now that we've done these series, they realize it's tired. They realize it's tired. They try to do something else. The fans hate whatever you do that isn't exactly what they expect James Bond to be. And then they overcorrect with cartoony, bland, and lifeless trope Bond. And that's what this is. I, and, yeah, see, that's ways, why we were hoping you could have seen. In some ways, uh, yes. In some ways, no, though. Yeah, like that's kind of why I was hoping you could have seen uh, License to Kill before this one, because you could see what that. So, License to Kill, it's a gritty revenge film. Bond fans didn't like this one. They go, "You're right." They course corrected back, and Bond Bond fans love this film. So yeah, there therein lies the difference between. Yeah, and you're exactly right. When they course correct it, they do tend to over course correct. They do. I do. I do think that they do try to do some modernization of. Um, they do some modernization of the Bond character, in the same way they upgraded the whole Cold War thing for the '90s. His sexism isn't quite as 
Yeah, M calls slap the woman in the face kind of thing. M points it out, and they they, I mean they don't hang a lampshade on it. They point it out directly and say, "You are a relic." And and it's Judy Dench this time. She is. They've upgraded. They've changed M to a woman uh, named Judy Dench, who will play M for a long time. Yeah, Judy Um, Dench is great. Yeah, and she actually nails what she's supposed to be. Yeah. She is the new guard yeah, of the uh, of the of essentially a British leadership, and he's having to deal with the fact that as all of his old bosses have been, you know, old farts. Now she, he's got a woman who's gonna call him out on stuff, and it's it's they do the the couple scenes with uh, in her office specific. I think is actually one of the better scenes in the whole movie. Yeah, I will say that their their screen time shared was good. I agree. And, and anyway, she wins, like, I mean, this is kind of a big um, box office beginning for her because her career, uh, you know, she's been a great British TV actress. After this, like, her movie career really takes off. She, she wins an Oscar a couple of years later for uh, Shakespeare in Love. I mean, she's just won. I mean, Judy Dent's a fantastic, you know, lifetime greatest actress of all time. So for her to take this part, it's really cr- creative casting. And, you know, I, got, I give them praise for sticking – their guns and not trying to immediately replace her for the next one. Now they keep her as M for a long time. No, they do a good job. Um, let's jump. To, are we ready to jump to the ending now? Yeah, sure. You mean with the, uh, I'm invincible. Yeah. I want to talk about some of the dumb shit in the ending. <laughs> okay. So first we got to talk about the exploding pin, which everybody talks about what in order for this to work, you know, Bond, first of all, Bond has, you know, the Chekhov's gone of the idea of the exploding pan has been introduced multiple times. We find, we constantly see Boris is obsessed with twirling pins. That's his, I guess his, um, that's his tick. So by luck, he happens to hold the exploding pan. We get these shots of him constantly twirling it while Bond's keeping track how many times he clicks it to create the bot to trigger it so the bomb will go off. That's funny that it, it's one of those uh, only in a bomb movie would this happen. But then, of course, we get the hilarious bit when he survives all the other explosions. Then he gets frozen in the random blast of liquid nitrogen. Well, it's funny you say it's random. They actually telegraphed it earlier with the Bond having the mine set up that they turned off with the watch. Because oh, you see, you see watch. the you see the the tanks are already ruptured by gunfire, and uh, so when the the coolant tanks blow, it's because they finally gave out. It's actually well telegraphed the problem is with this the problem with everything about boris in this bit is it goes on forever and you're just waiting for the shoe to drop like the whole pen thing it was tense for maybe two seconds and then it's like okay eventually this thing will go off and i don't care i hope they all die every single one of them wouldn't bother me at all (laughs) you know i just i stopped giving a shit because it went it was it just went on so long just like every other fucking thing in this film. They stretch it out to the point of absurdity and to the point where I stop giving a shit. Tank tank chase, uh, everything in the archive. Why haven't they shot the lady and Bond yet? Why hasn't Bond shot the villains yet? At multiple times on both sides, the other person gets the drop, wholly 100% gets the drop on the, their enemy and doesn't put a plug in their head. And I do not fucking understand it. Is it just something you do? Did you, did you just forget how to shoot bullets? All of a sudden, in the moment, because you're so emotional and tense, do you just not know how to shoot bullets? You didn't they, have a problem did. shooting bullets earlier. There's a lot of chick. They play a lot of chick in this game. Like, go ahead, shoot her. He, she means nothing to me. That's the recording they keep bringing up. Like, a whole, this whole bit of... Yes, but right before then, he busts in. They're both on their ass. He's got a gun. Put two bullets in him. Before they can he, talk. He could have just killed them. He, he could, could have, have just, just shot them. them. Be like, bam, bam. All right, problem solved. Yeah. Oh, it I... would have just all been over. <laughs> and then the that's guy comes movie. in, oh, I've got her hostage. And he's hiding behind the door and just shoots him in the kneecap and it's over. <laughs> like the whole sequence is over and Bond wins the day and we didn't have to go through all this rigmarole. Yep. I mean, you could argue that, oh, well, he wouldn't know where GoldenEye is. I'm like, you could look in his computer files. This guy's got computers everywhere. Yep. Why did he crash his train on purpose? Why not just stop your train and go shoot James Bond and move the tank off the tracks? I mean, what? Wh- why the whole must ram train? How thing? is the computer still working when the trains are already been derailed? The power is clearly out. They can still <laughs> somehow able to spike him in Cuba. Uh, like it's got a full communication system. The train is fucking on fire. 
Like, and he's, and then the laser watch from nowhere that has been, I mean, that was in another film, I'm sure. But again, it's just in there because they're like, well, we wrote ourselves into a corner. I guess Bond will have a gadget for this. Why did you, you have a laser watch? Well, that would have been real handy back when you were tied to a fucking helicopter that was about to explode. (laughs) I'm just fucking saying, what happened to your chainsaw watch? Did it get upgraded to the laser and now it doesn't work as a chainsaw? Because you had that fucking thing before. Why is there no Shark Tank, Bruce? Why was there no Shark Tank, Bruce? You know, I think they just couldn't afford one. I miss the quiet dignity of TV is all I They had the tank. I mean, the tank is where they spent all the money. I, I, admittedly, I liked the tank che- sequence, at least at first, and then it got old and boring. But I liked it in the beginning. I liked so, seeing... But, but I don't understand. This one's supposed to be the very best one. Like, this is like the one the fans vote for. And I just can't see it. I oh, I can understand. explain this one perfectly. I actually know the reason for this. In 1997, Why? the N64 released a game called Goldeneye. And mm-hmm. it is one of the biggest things in gaming that ever happened. Like it's right up there with super Mario brothers. It's right up there with the legend of Zelda. It's right up there with, um, Madden, uh, Sonic, the hedgehog. It's right. I up there legitimately with never played it. Never played I, it. I, I know you didn't because you're, <laughs> but this thing was the cock of the walk as far as console gaming until, until halo, literally until halo, this was the console first person shooter to play. And that game is actually quite good. Still has a very active speedrunning community to this day. Um, but people remember that game and remember it was based on a movie and, and have good feelings about it. Hmm. And especially, you got to remember, that crowd was very internet savvy in a time when many people weren't. You know, 97, 98, 99, right? So they're oh, yeah. online. They're the ones filling out Rotten Tomatoes stuff. They're the ones talking about it on discussion boards. They're the ones dialing into BBS. Wait, that's that was past that time, but you see what I mean? They're on <laughs> AOL chat rooms. They're the ones driving this because they're the tech-savvy ones. So there's a disproportionate representation of people who feel good about the video game who might have also seen the movie and gone, and now they've associated that in their minds. That's why this is so popular. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. I mean, it's uh, the legacy of that game is pretty impressive for bon- for video games in general. So I think that we should point that out. It definitely creates that whole thing. Um, I think though we should probably kind of wrap this up. So what do you guys rank for this? Good, bad, or nerdy? Bad. I I, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I mean, if you really are a completionist, if the game meant something to you, and I guess the game must seem like this in some way, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, it was just kind of, uh, it wasn't aggressively bad. So I won't put it like the you mustn't see it. It just wasn't worth the time. All right. Well, oh. what are you going for? Uh, I'm actually in the same boat. It wasn't as aggressively bad as many of the other Bond films that we've watched in this series, but was it worth my time? It absolutely wasn't. If you must see, if you must see the history of Bond and you want to see like the first film by every actor, you're going to watch this. So there's nothing I can do to stop you from watching it, but I won't actively shy away from it. I'll just say, look, it wasn't very good. If you want to spend your time on it, I'm not your dad. Okay, so you guys are leaning toward nerdy or bad? Bad, bad. bad. I mean, it has nerdy parts to it, as uh, as I've mentioned, the aforementioned video game connection, and oh look, they did the thing, and oh it's this, but ultimately, it's just it's at the top, it's it's in the top edge of bad. Like if if you have it as a scale, uh, and you can have a top, middle, and bottom, this is towards the top of your bad rating, but it's still bad. Okay, all right. Well, I think we'll we'll go ahead and give it a bad rating out of the fact. For me, I would still keep it in the good comparable to some of the other Bond films. And we're talking, you know, I'll give you guys a little plot synopsis of some of the other ones. So the next film, the evil villain is essentially Rupert Murdoch. He's a evil uh, media conglomerate who's trying to create a war so he can sell newspapers and get a uh, deal so he can put another uh, network in China. Surprise, uh, they didn't get sued. Newspapers. Yeah, newspapers. That, that, yeah, that one... Uh, <laughs> That one, Michelle Yeoh is his sidekick, so at least there's that uh, cool. She does some pretty cool stunts, but otherwise it's got a lot of plot holes. The next one, uh, The Wolves Not Enough, it involves a uh, 
Bosnian terrorists and a double cross with a uh, oil magnets. So it's about evil oil barons. And uh, that one features a uh, Denise Richards as nuclear physicist, Dr. Christmas Oh, Jones. God, I saw that one. I remember how stupid she was in that film. Oh, God. Yes, yes. <sighs> Uh, so and then we uh, and the and uh, that's the one where uh, John Cleese takes over as Q, and then the final one he has, which is Die Another Day. That's the one Madonna uh, does the theme song. Uh, oh, we didn't even did... talk about the theme song in this one. Yeah, the theme song's pretty good. That one's Tina Turner and Bono and the Edge wrote it. So it's actually pr- I would say it's one of the top five best Bond themes. It is certainly better than a lot of the other ones we've seen. Yeah. So. Um, I, I, it doesn't stick with me like God help me some of the other ones. Please make them. Stop. Well, okay, it doesn't stick to you, and that's a good thing as opposed to it sticks in your head and you can't stop the pain. But then, w- then we get to the worst one, which is Die Another Day, which includes uh, North Koreans who use. Uh, Genetic modification to change their faces white. Uh, a uh, la- an actual space laser. There's a laser in space that melts a, a ice castle uh, hotel slash. Uh, uh, it's basically, and there's an invisible car. I'm not kidding you. Bond drives an invisible car at one point in the movie. So, uh, yeah. So that's the Pierce Brosnan movies. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I haven't seen any other ones. Yeah, so you uh, you guys <laughs> avoided the I, I gave you the good one because they get weirder and weirder and weirder at top. Yeah, when he has an invisible car in the fourth film. Um, but uh, so yeah, we're gonna uh, we're about to hit our final one of ours. We're gonna do the uh, third and mo- financially the most successful uh, James Bond movie of all time. That would be Skyfall. That's the third Daniel Craig film. Um, so we'll be doing that one. I'm going to go ahead and declare this one. I guess we'll, as a, I wouldn't call it nerdy bad because it, I think you kind of made a good point. Most of the stuff is, does not hold up. So we'll say bad for this one, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. It's definitely been a wild one again. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please hit us up on our Facebook group, fans of good, bad, nerdy movie podcast, or also on Twitter, good, bad, nerdy movie pod. Please write some reviews. We don't get as many reviews as we used to on, uh, whatever platform we use iTunes. Overcast, whatever you know, we get a lot of we. Uh, Anchor has told me you, everyone's listening through different you know forms of ways of listening to your podcast. So please write reviews. Make sure to tell your friends about us, guys. Thanks again for sticking through this one. I know you know for '90s this definitely had them you know, scratching some itches and twitches because they're like, why, why? That's not how things work. It was the '90s. <sighs> Uh, well, I'm sure the uh, just some of the attempts at Cody must have been like, Ugh! well, the typing one handed thing. I was just like, uh, like if you're if you're a computer programmer, don't put clever little bullshit passwords and and bad boob jokes in your code. It's just unprofessional, man. Yeah. Knockers does not spell with three keystrokes. Oh, good Lord. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And please, please, please. If you're going to hire a hacker, just make sure he can keep his hands on the keyboard. (laughs) It's the truth. (laughs) I would have lost if he hadn't been holding that stupid pen. It was mightier than the sword. Shut the hell up. Shut shut the hell up. (laughs) No. No. All right. (sighs) Thanks for listening. Sorry, I had to. I've been sitting on that one all day. I'm uh, I'm sure I would have gone with Sean Connery's at Jeopardy with the penis. La, 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 la.